Hey, I'm Tom Power. I'm the host of the podcast Q with Tom Power, where we talk to all kinds of artists, actors, writers, musicians, painters. We had Green Day on the other day talking about their huge album, American Idiot. Nicole Byer came on to talk about ADHD and comedy. And then there's Dan Levy. While we were talking about filmmaking, we talked about his insecurities. I sometimes feel like I have this desire to, like, perform, to be a version of myself that people might like. Listen to Q with Tom Power to hear your favorite artists as they truly are wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. This is The Dose. This week, the undoing of one of the most widely accepted pieces of medical wisdom about how to protect yourself from heart attacks and strokes. Take aspirin. Don't even think about it. Just do it. You may not know this, but the late physician and Canadian icon, Dr. Fraser Mustard, led the first of many studies showing aspirin could prevent heart attacks and strokes. So it became standard practice even for healthy people. To help prevent a heart attack, 81 milligrams is the dose of aspirin doctors recommend most. So St. Joseph only makes that dose. Thanks in part to commercials like this. Talk to your doctor. Aspirin's not right for everyone. St. Joseph, America's original, just for the heart. But new studies are making doctors and the public ask, should I still be taking an aspirin a day to ward off strokes and heart attacks? That's our question for today on The Dose. And I've got Dr. Mike Kolber in our Edmonton studio for some smart advice. He's a professor in the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Alberta, a family doctor in Peace River, and co-author of a paper that's making people who take aspirin think twice. Hello, is is that Dr. Mike Kolber? It is. Hi, Brian. You know, what were you seeing in your own practice that made you want to start to question aspirin use? Yeah, so I, I'm like you. I've been out for a while and practicing medicine, and that was kind of a dogma. We just said, you know, if you're over 50, you take an aspirin. We actually did a study about five years ago, and about 45, 40% of my patients over the age of 50 uh, in northern Alberta and Peace River were taking aspirin. And we actually found that was also very similar if it related to an urban practice. And that's been shown over and over again, whether you look at surveys or or doing an actual study, is that many patients, almost half of the patients over the age of 50, are taking aspirin and the majority of the time without having existing cardiovascular disease. Of course, uh, the origins of taking aspirin came from people who had actually had heart attacks, uh, people who were in the middle of a heart attack, uh, people who had had a prior history of people who had stents, people who had bypass. There's good solid evidence and there continues to be good solid evidence that if they take an aspirin, it will prevent them from having a second heart attack. Absolutely. The evidence on that is much stronger than the evidence for people who have not had or trying to prevent their first time heart attack or stroke. So both people who've had it in the past or somebody that's experienced potentially a heart attack or stroke, absolutely there's there's, uh, evidence to to take an aspirin. So 40% of the people in your practice were taking aspirin. And for that matter, 40% of Canadians are taking aspirin. That's a lot of people. And I'm pretty certain very few of them take aspirin because they've had a heart attack or stroke. I think you were saying you were concerned that a whole lot of people were taking aspirin when they didn't need to. Basically, it was looking at all of the patients over the age of 50, and some of the American studies show 40 or 50. And when they survey them, or we actually ask them, are you taking aspirin? 40% of those people are actually taking aspirin. And the overwhelming majority, I think over 90% of them, 
are because to prevent their first time heart attack or stroke. So it's not like 40% of the people, it's probably more like 90 or 90, probably 90% of these people, depending on the age you look at, have not had a heart attack or a stroke. And of the patients over the age of 50, about just up to 50% of the people are taking aspirin. And so it really got us interested into looking at what the evidence really is. And so when you actually look at that, Brian, the evidence isn't quite as strong as we anticipated or we thought it was 20 years ago when these studies first came out. So, so why don't you dig into the, into the evidence? Uh, what did you discover? So that discussion point or clinical pearl was based on six randomized controlled trials, which are trials that you put half the people on an aspirin and half the people on a placebo. And they actually watched them and, and see, saw who had heart attacks and strokes. And those randomized controlled trials had some fundamental flaws the larger studies were actually on healthcare professionals and we take care of lots of patients outside of healthcare professionals and it's sometimes very challenging to generalize to a, from a study on healthcare professionals to the general population. Number two is these studies, many of these studies actually had a run-in. Many of people may not know what a run-in is, but basically the run-in is you give everybody the intervention, in this case aspirin, and see who had a problem with it, whether it be bleeding, nosebleeds, GI bleeding, and then you don't enroll those in the study. So are you saying that a significant run-in would bias the study? Yes, it would bias the study to uh, showing less adverse events. Instead ah. of just starting the starting the trial with all of your thousand people and just seeing what happens, this one would actually downplay the potential adverse events of the study. Thirdly, the studies were all sponsored by the makers of, the, of aspirin, which may or may not uh, influence how they're looked at. And finally, only one study really showed a benefit and other studies actually stopped the trial and thought it was unethical to continue the trial because of this one study showing benefit. So there have been several much more recent studies on aspirin and you reviewed that literature. So tell me about those studies and, and what you found. Sure. So it's not often you get three really large, well-done studies that looked at a very similar clinical question, but in three different groups. And maybe I'll just walk you through them. So the first one was about 12,000 patients. And these were what we call moderate risk patients. So they, so often with a physician, you would uh, predict your future 10-year risk of a heart attack or stroke. And these patients were in the, the moderate risk, meaning between 10 and 20% 10-year risk. They randomized them to aspirin or placebo and followed this for six years. And then what they did is they tried to figure out who had heart attack strokes and who also had bleeds, who died, and, that, and, and the really important clinical outcomes. This study actually found that cardiovascular events were the same in both arms, whether you had aspirin or no aspirin, about 4%, but they had an increased risk of a GI bleed. And GI bleeds can be substantial or minimal, depending on how you define it. And so for this one, they really thought potential benefits are potentially offset by the potential harms, harms with this. Now, this one had a very interesting uh, intellectual conflict of interest in that one of the authors really firmly believes that people should be on aspirin for both uh, pre preventing cardiovascular disease but also cancer prevention. And they didn't look at cancer prevention in this study. The next study went a little bit further and enrolled diabetics. They're more likely than, than non-diabetics to have heart attacks and strokes. Sure. Yeah, so this was about 16,000 patients in the United Kingdom. Same thing, randomized to aspirin or placebo and followed for seven years. This study actually showed a benefit for cardiovascular disease, so preventing heart attacks and strokes. For the ones who took aspirin. For the ones that took aspirin. Compared a, to placebo. To, compared to placebo, had about a 1% absolute benefit. So flip that around another way. You had to treat 100 patients with aspirin to prevent one additional heart attack or stroke Is compared that good? to placebo. Is that good? So, well, you know what? For primary prevention, uh, it's not bad when we look at numbers needed to treat in other avenues and other interventions that we do. 
However, the flip side of that is for that 1% benefit, there was a 1% harm in major bleeds. And major bleeds are scary bleeds th- such that you drop your hemoglobin by 20 points, require transfusion or interventions. I'm, I'm an emergency physician. I so have seen, I've these. seen a few of those. Yes. And, I, and you betcha. We've seen these in our career. So that study would say, great, you could benefit from aspirin, but you're going to pay for it with an increased risk of bleeding. So it's a wash. Correct. And then the third study, which is really interesting, was uh, of older patients, and they wanted patients over the age of 70, and they had 19,000 Australians enrolled, and they did the same thing, aspirin versus placebo, for five years. And this study actually was terminated for futility, which means they weren't going to find a difference. And interesting in this one, they found that the people who took aspirin died more often than the patients who took placebo, and cancer deaths were actually more often in the patients taking aspirin than placebo. So when you look at it in its entirety, we got one study showed a benefit of cardiovascular uh, events, future cardiovascular events. Two studies showed no difference. Two studies showed no difference in mortality. One study showed increasing mortality. And it seems like the cancer story in a high-quality randomized controlled trials is actually a wash and, and not beneficial. That's all very depressing news. Well, it is and it isn't. I think that, uh, Brian, when I look at this, there's many interventions in healthcare that work. And so I think if, if I was having a discussion with a patient who was concerned about polypharmacy or taking too many medications, I think that if they hadn't had a heart attack or a stroke, that might be a conversation to discuss removing a pill. If they've had an adverse event uh, with respect to bleeds, that's a great intervention to remove uh, a pill. And then talking about other things that are shown and probably have better evidence to prevent future cardiovascular events, such as exercise, not smoking, treating your blood pressure, taking a statin, and or the Mediterranean diet probably has more solid evidence than aspirin. Between today's wellness fads and news about tomorrow's medical breakthroughs, it's hard to know what health information actually applies to you. Luckily, there's a podcast that breaks through the noise, TED Health from the TED Audio Collective. Join host Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter as she introduces you to leading health experts that break down the questions you didn't know you had. Will eating a plant-based diet make you healthier? How does your neighborhood impact your health? How will medical treatments change in the future? Learn all this and more on TED Health. Find TED Health wherever you get your podcasts. Mike, I I want to go back to that first study because something just didn't make sense. You said the study recruited people who, by design, were supposed to be at moderate risk of a heart attack or stroke, which means a 10% likelihood in the next 10 years. Correct. And yet, when they, when they rolled out the data, they found that only 4% of them had yes. a heart attack or stroke. So those numbers seem way off. How do you explain that? That's the nuances of cardiovascular trials these days. You brought up two very important points. Number one is sometimes our risk calculators may overestimate your future event risk. And we actually did a study looking at multitude of different cardiovascular risk calculators, and they can be all over the place. The other thing that we're finding, Brian, is as we evolve in taking care of patients and with lesser smoking, we're treating blood pressure, people are going on statins, in that many of these large cardiovascular trials are finding events rate, event rates much lower than they anticipate. So lower rates of heart attacks and strokes simply because people are managing their cholesterol better, their blood pressure, maybe they're not smoking, so smoking rates are going down, maybe they're reducing their alcohol consumption, that, that kind of stuff? Absolutely. We have another study in, in press looking at decade over decade, and it, is a beautiful, it really is showing a diminishing return, meaning uh, baseline rates or placebo rates of uh, significant cardiovascular events are dropping decade over decade. 
So with all this in mind, what's the upshot? Should healthy adults at low risk of a heart attack or stroke be taking a daily uh, tablet of aspirin? I would say based on this, uh, the best evidence, and I, I really don't think that there's going to be any more trials on this, Brian, I would say no. That being said, we have a generation of patients that really do may feel that they've uh, prevented their heart attack or stroke from pay- taking the aspirin. But I really think that overall the evidence is strongly against taking an aspirin to prevent your first-time heart attack or stroke. But there must be some people out there who, in fact, do have, have never had a heart attack or stroke, but do have a high risk, a very high risk. Can you tease them out and say, well, maybe you should be taking an aspirin? You, you could. I, I think that aspirin, if you were going to consider that, Brian, I, I think uh, we try and use, we try and go away from the words very high or high risk because it means different to different people. So I think having a conversation, showing a future cardiovascular risk, I think is really important. And then maybe, maybe its place would be if you had somebody who was diabetic with an early onset family history, that you've done all the right things, including obviously sm- stopping smoking, treating blood pressure and putting them on a statin. The evidence for statin is probably relatively is about two and a half times better than the uh, evidence for if you you know if you really thought that aspirin made a difference to prevent that first time heart attack or stroke uh, then maybe add it on top of it for our very high risk people and that would be on a case by case basis how can people find out what their risk is you know, they can go to a multitude of different calculators. Uh, our team has one on, I don't know if we're allowed to promote it, Brian, but uh, one of them is called Best Science Medicine. Uh, and you can actually just go in there and go with your healthcare professional. You can put your age and your gender and your blood pressure and if you know your cholesterol, and then we could actually uh, propagate uh, an estimate of future risk, knowing that these estimates, as we talked before, can be off a bit. Were you seeing bleeding issues with your own patients who were on aspirin that concerned you? Oh, for sure. So I do GI medicine also up in Peace River, and I do endoscopy. And uh, you betcha we would be seeing uh, bleeds, whether it be GI bleeds, but also additional nosebleeds, other bleeds on aspirin, and many of them taking it uh, just because. So have you been calling in your patients like in, 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 in 10s and 20s and telling them to stop <laughs> taking aspirin? Uh, no, I've been educating other physicians. And when I have the opportunity to have the discussion, uh, we'll have that conversation. But am I bringing them in en masse? It, it's beyond our capabilities in, in caring for rural Albertans. And I'd use opportunistic education as opposed to uh, blanketing. Uh, and, and I'm hopeful that with these and some of the other uh, educational tools that we've done both for practitioners and for the lay public that they're actually taking a, a second, a sober second thought and actually really questioning whether they need to be on aspirin or not. And have they, if you've had uh, the opportunity to have these kinds of discussions with even one patient, has it been hard to change their mind? The response is variable. Somebody that thinks they're on too many pills or had potential adverse events related to those medications, absolutely that's easier than somebody who just goes along and takes an aspirin and, and may believe that the reason why they didn't have a heart attack or stroke is because they took the aspirin. Do you have any idea um, how it was that this advice that people take uh, a tablet of aspirin a day uh, got adopted in such a dramatic way? Because really, we're talking about a massive percentage of the population taking it when they probably shouldn't be taking it. And So do you have any idea how that happened? I could hazard a, a reasonable guess. I think that we see many things in medicine and we see them over and over again and we see them now. We see um, interventions that may be reasonable for a subset of patients and then we see that extrapolated or generalized to way beyond that. I also think that sometimes uh, marketing is helpful in propagating interventions and, and again, uh, taking what they find in a certain subset or a certain study and then trying to uh, have more people 
involved in that intervention in the future. And and I think that we have been and can be in 30-second soundbite health information sessions. And sometimes we sometimes this happens and, and it sounds like reasonable and it sounds plausible. And we kind of run with it until somebody takes a sober second thought. And so I don't think this is the only uh, time we've done this in medicine. Um, but this is one that probably has affected millions and millions of people worldwide. Now that's why these three studies, I think, are probably the most important information to come out for healthcare probably in the last couple of years. I find it very interesting that when these studies were published, that uh, marketing for aspirin seemed, seemed to ramp up a bit. And it's almost like counter, uh, counter education with uh, some of the makers of this product. We've been talking about whether to take aspirin. Who should not be taking aspirin? I think t- people that not should not be taking aspirin, again, are the people that are low future cardiovascular risk. I think patients that have had uh, significant, have been on aspirin before and had significant adverse events, whether they be uh, internal bleeding, GI bleeding, nosebleeds. Allergies? I mean, uh, you know what? Yeah, aspirin allergy is a, another interesting subset. There are obviously groups of people who have had a- allergies to aspirin. The majority of patients that I see in Peace River um, really should not be taking aspirin. That being said, on the flip side of that, there are a lot of people that have had a previous heart attack or stroke and maybe because they think it's over the counter or maybe because the physicians don't continue to ask them about it might not be taking aspirin. We, so we think that's probably at least 10% of patients who have had a previous heart attack or stroke are not taking aspirin. All of our patients that haven't had a heart attack or stroke should walk their aspirin down to their colleagues or friends that have had a heart attack or stroke to make sure they are taking it. And, and that's because if you've had a heart attack or stroke, if you have a stent, if, you've, if you have a coronary bypass, then uh, taking an aspirin a day can prevent you from having uh, another bad outcome like a heart attack or stroke down the road. Correct. Um, this is a really important point. Some people hearing this um, might be tempted to just stop taking aspirin. And that's a bad idea, isn't it? You know, uh, Brian, it depends. <laughs> well, if, if, it, if, depends. If, if it was prescribed by your doctor? It's tricky. I think that if there are patients that clearly believe that they're low risk, that they have not had a heart attack or stroke in the past, then I think that they could safely come off of their aspirin. If you have a stent, though, for instance, and a lot of people do have stents. Absolutely. Then you should not just stop taking aspirin because you've been listening to our conversation. Correct. So, yeah, you're right. If you've got previous cardiovascular disease, which heart attack, stroke, peripheral vascular disease, uh, that kind of stuff really uh, encourage ta- those patients taking aspirin. Uh, one thing that, that uh, I think bears uh, emphasizing, um, if you're having chest pain uh, uh, or you're calling on behalf of a loved one or a friend or, or a colleague who's having chest pain and the ambulance dispatcher uh, says, um, you know, after ascertaining that there's no allergies, uh, give that person a tablet of aspirin if they have it then you should take it. Absolutely. So the evidence on taking an aspirin, the benefit of taking an aspirin is similar to the benefit of getting a clot-busting medication when you show up and emerge. Wow. And uh, so we can't can't underplay that you're right. If you are having a a heart attack, uh, please encourage our patients to take an aspirin. Mike, that was just great. Uh, You know, thanks a lot. It was great to chat with you. (laughs) Oh, you're so welcome, Brian. It was really fun. Okay. Enjoy your day. Bye now. You too. Dr. Mike Kolber was in our Edmonton studio. He's a professor in the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Alberta, a family doctor in Peace River, and an expert on how to reduce your risk of heart attack and stroke. Here's your dose of smart information. First, keep taking aspirin if your healthcare provider prescribed it because you've had a prior heart attack or stroke, have a stent or two, or had a coronary bypass. In those circumstances, aspirin works. Now, the next dose of advice may be hard to swallow. 
but here goes. If you've never had a heart attack or stroke, do not take aspirin. There's evidence that aspirin isn't effective at preventing a first heart attack or stroke and may cause serious side effects like bleeding. There are better ways than aspirin at preventing a first heart attack, like exercise, diet, and taking medications to control blood pressure and cholesterol. See your healthcare provider for those. In our last episode, we talked about the vaccinations grown-ups need to get. Many of you were looking for a reference list. Producer Nicole Ireland has put together a web piece that contains that information, which you can find on our website, cbc.ca slash whitecoat. A few of you also pointed out that we didn't address the cost of vaccines. The shingles vaccine can be costly and isn't covered consistently by provincial health care plans across Canada. Nicole's web story will also touch on that. Our next episode of The Dose will tackle coronavirus, a.k.a. COVID-2019. Our question is, how can you best protect yourself from emerging viruses? If you have specific questions about that, tweet us. I'm at NightShiftMD, and you can also tweet at CBC Whitecoat. Just remember to use the hashtag, TheDoseCBC. You can also email us. Our address is thedose at cbc.ca. You can find The Dose wherever you get your podcasts. The Dose is produced by Nicole Ireland, Donna Dingwall, and me. Shout out to Alison Broddle, Managing Editor at CBC Radio. Thanks to the whole team at CBC Podcasts. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. But if you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.